Welcome to Manager Tools. Today's topic, My Direct is Resigning, Chapter 1, Never Counter Offer, Part 2. Here we go. All right, point three, admit it will be hard to lose them, if true. Because you could lose them, right? Yeah. But look, it's still not time to start discussing with them, let alone even think about counteroffering. Ultimately, guys, a counteroffer is a sign of weakness. By definition, a counter is better than their present employment situation with us. To have our direct actions be the cause of our changing things admits that we weren't managing them well to begin with. So that's a sign of weakness, a weakness in the past. To jump to trying to solve the problem without getting as much information as is reasonable just amplifies our weakness. So the next thing we do is express respect for their abilities and performance by telling them they'll be missed. Right? I mean, look, look, right. we congratulate them. We say, tell me all about it, right? It's still about them, okay? And we're buying ourselves time because when it becomes about us, whether we can make an offer or not, we have to have all the information and we want them in the best frame of mind possible for us to have a good outcome. And let's try to remember, yes, they have an offer, but they're not our boss yet. We're still the boss. We get to, I mean, they're the one that brought us the other offer. I don't really want to call their bluff. I, I want them to stay, but if they've gotten the offer, they're the one that has to decide whether or not they're going to stay or go. So the next thing we do is is tell them they were good, that they're going to be missed. And again, this is a case where most managers jump right to, oh my gosh, how do I keep you? But when you do it that way, it comes across as it's all about you. It's all about your fear. It's not about them. It's, oh my gosh, they're a cog in a system and I can't afford to lose one of my cogs. What do I have to do? If you think it comes across immediately when you're they have an offer to offer them a counter, if you think that comes across as you're my most important guy, that's not the way it comes across. You have to congratulate them, find out what the information is, and then it, admit it'll be hard to lose them because... Again, we're buying time and we're making it about them rather than about our fear and our loss. So you're right, in your head, part of what's in your head is a loss of any of our directs creates work for us. And it is reasonable for us to be concerned. I'm sure there's a lot of stuff going through all of our heads, right? The workload, the projects, the deadlines, our reputation, our retention statistics, whether or not we can get approval to hire, get an open rec. Recruiting people, interviewing people, hiring people, because most of us don't have a warm bench. But let's not get so carried away with keeping anyone that we're willing to go to as much effort to keep an average or below average performer as we would to hire somebody who could become far better. You know, we joked in the retention tool that there's a, a type of candidate or type of employee we call lottery winners, which are high risk for leaving and low-level performers. We call them lottery winners because we wish they'd win the lottery in the sweepstakes and go away. And look, we don't recommend that you treat everybody the same. That's a, a common canard of managing. Yeah. So look, here's how it might sound. I'm thrilled for you, dude. And you know you leaving is going to hurt. You've been a great team player. Everybody likes you. I never have to worry about you creating conflict. You're respected. You're admired. If you do go, you'll be damned hard to replace. Okay? Or you could say this. I don't know whether to buy you a beer to congratulate you or to cry in my beer, right? Maybe both. Nice. Poetic uh, even. Yeah. 
I really appreciate how hard you work, how focused you are, how I can count on you to get things done. You're a professional. It's people like you that make managing worthwhile. You are irreplaceable. The person who takes your place may have the same skills, but um, you've made yourself irreplaceable here in a lot of ways. And I'll find someone, but they won't be you. Now, you'll notice when we talk about what will be hard about losing them, we don't talk about the time and effort of replacing them. That's a selfish appeal. Mm -hmm. It's cynical. If you say something like that, you'll lose credibility on the other points they're going to make. We only mention areas that are unique to them. The effort of, for us of getting an open requisition and screening resumes and interviewing and offering and waiting are simply the cost of doing business, and it's true for everybody. And if you're wondering about one of your directs right now that you couldn't say these kinds of things to, the kind mentioned in the examples we just gave, then you don't have to say anything like this at all. Be careful about mouthing vague platitudes to somebody who you don't feel deserves them, although maybe everybody deserves vague platitudes. And next time you say that to somebody, if it's vague, you may not be convincing, and it may be somebody you want to keep. So say something genuine, and that will be helpful, uh, even though, remember now, we're still planning on recommending you don't counteroffer. Um, we want people to stay for the right reasons, because of the relationship, because of the people, because of the opportunities, and so on. Now, it's possible that you don't have the opportunities for them, and they're going to go someplace better. And if they do, um, and you care about them, then you're going to be happy for them. And it's going to be painful for you, but you're going to be happy for them. Um, but if you can tell somebody how great they've been, go ahead and do so because again that keeps it about them and it slightly increases your chances of keeping somebody whom you want to keep now i mean it's possible i guess that they've made a decision already right and it's but it's also possible they have not made a decision so it'd be useful to to know to kind of get in their head a little bit in terms of knowing how they plan to decide and when they want to make that decision when they plan on making that decision exactly yeah if someone has told you they have an offer or has asked for a counteroffer, they haven't decided. They haven't accepted. I mean, okay, that that's not exactly 100% all the time true. There are some people who aren't clear communicators in situations like these. We mentioned earlier, people don't know what they're doing in these situations. It's not because of malice. They're not just super clever. It's they literally don't know what they're doing. They're worried about your response. And they don't know how to tell you they've left. And so they're starting with, hey, I got an offer. And in 15 minutes, they're going to tell you, and hey, look, I, I accepted it. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh, thanks. Yeah, I, don't, I didn't really care that you had an offer. What I care about now is you've accepted and, you know, I need to start thinking about your resignation process because the one thing I'm not going to do is attempt to inveigle you to go back on your word that you've accepted an offer. Once you accept an offer, it's really unprofessional to go back and say, oh, no, I've changed my mind. So look, they're worried about your response or maybe they want to gloat a little bit. Uh, or again, they're unskilled. It's not like there's a class for this stuff. So don't be surprised, particularly if they're an individual contributor. It's possible they've already decided and they're communicating imprecisely whether they mean to or not. The best way to figure out whether they are inartful or coy or being truthful is to gather the information we need anyway. Because, again, once we figured out the present situation, we now need to figure out what they intend to do so we can decide how we're going to respond. I'm just going to say it again. It is totally inefficient and, in this situation, ineffective 
to respond b- before we know both their present situation, what the, what, what the offer is, and their plan for how to deal with it. So we ask something like, so what are your plans? How are you going to decide? What's your timeline? This is the fourth point in this podcast, and we have not talked about what we're going to do yet. And and most p- people listening right now are like, my God, this is taking forever. But if <laughs> but if you're going to disagree with this, guys, and if you're going to decide to offer, counteroffer, here are all the things you need. I mean, this is the, the podcast where we say, look, guys, we understand that not all of you will believe us. We, we will, as I like to joke, uh, we will console ourselves with being right. Um, but it's okay if you decide you're that 5% person or that 10% person that wants to make a counteroffer, but gee whiz, don't do it anytime before you've gone through these four steps. We're still very comfortable saying it does, you know, counteroffering is a bad idea, and we'll describe that, describe that in a minute. So, look, you could say, okay, what's the plan now? How long do you have? What are the factors you're going to consider? right? What's your timeline? What are your plans? How are you going to decide? This might be the place where you find out that they've already accepted, right? Yeah, exactly. (laughs) And again, that would have wasted all the effort earlier on before you start going, okay, well, let me see what I can do kind of thing. I got to tell you, the worst thing in the world is early on in the discussion for you to say, well, let me see what I can do. In other words, they're not looking for a counter, but now you're so scared, you're immediately assuming that's what you're going to do. And then they say right after that, well, actually, it doesn't matter. I've already made an offer. So you're panicking, and you're panicking before they can get their entire story out. That's how scared you are. And by the way, that doesn't make them seem awesome to themselves. It makes you seem small. Yeah. You're embarrassed. They're embarrassed. It's just not a great way to yeah. end the whole thing. Yeah. But look, most managers responding to a direct in a situation like this make the mistake of thinking, once you know the details of the opposing offer, you have what's important. But the timing of the decision... now. Most people don't understand that timing is part of the details, but anyway, the timing of people's decision may make any action we can take virtually impossible. So you have to ask what their plans are. And and just real quick, a reminder, an offer, when you get an offer, the definition of an offer is when control passes to the person being offered, right? Up until then, the company has the control and they can simply say no. But when they offer the direct knows if they say yes, then they're an employee. And an offer generally has four components. Number one, the position, what the job is, which usually includes the title, the responsibility, and who they're reporting to. Location, where the job is. And guys, don't assume. Uh, And that includes also potentially telecommuting as well. So it may be where they are now, but it may be that they're telecommuting. Compensation, obviously salary, but also variable compensation and benefits, okay? Uh, I'll never forget talking to an executive who left one company and forgot uh, to ask how much vacation I get, and the company said, well, you're new, so you get none. (laughs) Um, And he had been with his other company 15 years and had four weeks. Um, The last thing is the decision date, when the decision is required. This is a great way of ferreting out whether somebody actually has an offer. I mean, they may be telling you they have an offer. If they can't tell you these four things, they probably don't have an offer. Right. (laughs) Yeah. And and look, guys, you could be Machiavellian about it, or you could simply be kind and say, look, I I love the fact that you're excited and so on. But if you don't have a decision date and you don't know the compensation yet, you probably don't really have an offer. Or, hey, look, I'm just going to tell you, I don't know if you're working with a recruiter or the company or whatever, but if you... If you don't 
know who you're reporting to and they haven't given you the title yet, I, I would like to suggest that maybe in the formal definition, you don't have an offer and it would be good for you to find that out. And I'll be happy to help you try to find it out. Um, you want to tell me who your recruiter is, I'll call or whatever. You know, they'll probably bail on that one. But And look, even if your direct doesn't know, you're not trying to do it to make him or her feel bad. You need to know these things in order for you to do what you might want to do. Not that you're because you're going to counteroffer, but because you want to know what the competitive marketplace is out there. And again, you can just tell them, hey, that's something you need to know and you don't know it. And I want you to make the right decision. But if you think you can make a decision without that information, I don't think that's fair to, the, to you from the company's perspective. And look, the important one for us in terms of potentially losing them is the decision date. If it's tomorrow, our hands may really be tired. <laughs> you know, I just think if you go to your boss and say you want to you want to make an offer, so you, you want a counter offer or whatever, yeah, she's going to ask you like, oh, so when when's the decision date? You don't yeah. know you're going to look like you're going to look like an idiot, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so so you you totally got to ask. Okay, so what happens when a counter offer is suggested by your employee? You know, here's what I got. Can you give me a counter offer? What do you suggest you do? Okay, and so in other words. You're suggesting it happens early or, well, it doesn't matter. Look, if a direct wants or demands or in any way you get the impression expects a counteroffer, keep in mind that's what they want, okay? That helps them. But we'd be fools as managers to go to a great deal of trouble, spend a political capital because it's going to take a lot for what would have been an obviously doomed effort to keep them if we don't know what we need to know to craft a response. Okay? That's the entire point of this cast really up until now. It's one of the fundamental, you know, it's not the entire point, but it's one of the fundamental themes of this cast. So if before you have the information we've recommended you get, your direct says something that makes you think she wants a counteroffer, we have a couple of examples of what to say. The first is for someone you may want to keep, even if you don't make counteroffers. And the second is for someone you probably wouldn't counteroffer, even if you did that kind of thing, which we know you don't. Which you don't, right? <laughs> Not yeah, if you listen exactly. to us, right? Yeah. So it, here's the first one, right? For somebody you might want to keep, even, again, if you don't make counteroffers. Look, I'm thrilled for you. And yes, I'd love to keep you. But I don't know enough yet to be able to even come up with a counter to your offer. It'd be silly of me to only know the salary. The very definition of a counteroffer is to make an offer that's competitive. But I don't know enough to create something I could be sure would be competitive. So before I consider that, walk me through all the details. And then, of course, use the previous parts of this cast to get that information. So on. Okay. Then the second time, let's say this is for someone you probably wouldn't counteroffer even if you did that, which you don't. Hey, look, in order to counter this offer, I'll have to know what I'm competing against. It wouldn't make sense for me to get approval to make a counter if I knew the company wouldn't let me go as far as you needed me to truly be competitive. So give me all the details, and then I'll be able to consider it. It occurs to me, though, even if you did not plan to make a counter offer, which we're going to suggest in a second, you don't. But even if you don't, I tell you what, knowing all that information, that, that's some competitive information right there right? You'd want to know about the offers. You'd like to know what you're up against. And maybe you might go to HR and actually share this information with them at some point. So the, the company gets some uh, business intelligence. 
yeah, why, why not go to your boss and say, hey, listen, Rodrigo came to me. He got another offer. The market's been heating up. And by the way, folks, we're recording this in 2014. We believe the market's heating up. That's part of the reason we finally released in this cast. We haven't done something about retention like this in a while, so we're going into it in a great deal of detail. We're actually really, as I think I said before, doing a couple of casts in one year. That's why it's going long. But even if I know I'm not going to counter-offer him, it's reasonable for me to expect that a person who wants a counter will have to share certain information with me. That information is useful to me. If you and your boss find out that one of your average guys gets $20,000 more, uh, you know, from 60 to 80, you might raise your eyebrows a little bit and go, wow, you know, we should expect more of this. We may not be able to do anything, but we should be expecting more of this. It's okay to say, hey, we've got a lockdown on compensation. We had a bad year last year. I can't get any more out of the company. But that doesn't mean you can't say, all right, I need to start warming up my network. I need to start calling people. My bench needs to be more ready. Right. Yeah. Or I need to to build deeper relationships. I need to do, I mean, there's all sorts of things you can do to protect yourself and inoculate yourself. So it's good to know what the environment looks like. And this is, this is one way you, you gain competitive information. So, yep, exactly. Okay. So let's go, let's go to one of our key points. Don't make a counter offer. Yeah. <laughs> After all that. It might be our, Don't do our it. key point. Yeah. This is really the heart of it, right? We recommend that you never make a counteroffer. And we understand there are rare exceptions, but we're using never to be a bit dramatic, but also to, to really give you a clear sense of how rare a counteroffer is the right professional response. And there are three reasons here. We want to go through them. And this is part of the cast that's less actionable, but it's important for you to build a foundation about how you see employment and your relationship with your folks and so on. Three reasons. One, the likelihood of success. Most people think, oh, if I counter, things will be fine. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) All you need to do, all you need to do, guys, is go through the pain and suffering of going and get a counter from it for direct and then discovering they won't take it and you will be so bitter that you spent your political capital, lost reputation, and didn't get what you wanted, you'll say, I'm never doing that again. Yeah, I've never done that. Never. Yeah, never. Never made that that mistake. (laughs) (laughs) So three main reasons. The likelihood it's going to work, the cost-benefit analysis, and then also the relationship damage. Now, some of you won't like the relationship damage part because you'll define relationship as them working for you, but that's not how manager tools and career tools define relationships. Just because somebody works for you doesn't mean you have a relationship with them that's professional, that can be leveraged, and so on. Okay, first things first, likelihood of success. The primary reason we don't recommend counteroffers is because they rarely work. In the short term, you're not going to keep them, or even if you keep them for short term, that you don't tend to keep them in the long term. To get an offer, our directs have gone to a good deal of effort. Again, they got their resume ready. They talked to their network about their interest. They've gotten ready for an interview. They probably had to buy or update some part of their interview attire. They've interviewed, which is not to be underestimated in terms of stress. There are people who won't change jobs simply because they hate either the stress of or the lack of knowing about how to interview. They've waited. They've perhaps had a deal with a recruiter, which is often no fun. And again, the recruiter works for the client and not the candidate, and most candidates don't realize that. And they've done all that while keeping it from us. 
It's been our experience, guys, that directs who want counteroffers don't necessarily have a real desire to stay that can be achieved by compensation. It's just rare that someone goes through all the steps to get an offer for the sole purpose of motivating their manager to change their compensation package. What they would do is come to you and say, I'd like a raise. Yeah, right? That'd be a little bit easier. Yeah. <laughs> and a lot of people don't like, particularly yeah. in the technical world, they don't like having an interview, right? Yeah. I, I, you know, I got a beef with my neighbor. I always pull out the nuclear option. That's what I usually do. Just, just go nuclear immediately, right? People don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, and now, look, we're not saying it doesn't happen, but it's a lot less likely than most people seem to think. So they probably didn't do it to motivate you. They went through the process because they're thinking about leaving. And once they start the effort, guys, job seekers become invested in the process. Yep. That means our offer to keep them has to be appreciably better than the competing offer. The individual, your employee, is aware of all the little foibles and all the little problems that you're associated with your company. They know all that. Yeah. There's nobody on the other side who's sharing that. They all exist over right, there as well. Point. Yeah. But they're not yeah. sharing that. All they're they're sharing the bright picture the the bright future this person's going to have um so you're working against that yeah plus you think if i match their offer then we're good because you know what they'll have to do is if the if the offer is the same they'll still have to leave here and go there and so on but no what you what they're saying is no i deserve more this other you know i deserve more than that to stay here because i had to go through a lot of work to get what i got oh good point <laughs> good yeah point. yeah Look, a simple way to think about this is they want to be paid for their efforts at getting the offer. If you match the offer, even if it's notably more than what you're paying them presently, it won't be enough in most cases. You'll have to beat it, and you'll probably have to beat it in a clear way. $1,000 probably won't do it. You'll have to beat it by enough to pay them for their effort. Sometimes, knowing how much that is, is tough call, not easy. We've known many managers who are chagrined to counteroffer more than competing offer and still lose a direct. And that is a loss in every way possible. Your boss says, well, I can give you $5,000 and you know, $2,000, $3,000. And then you lose them anyway. The boss is going to say, we got played. And next time this happens, I'm going to get personally involved. And yeah. that doesn't, that doesn't help your relationship with your boss. No. And it sucks folks. It, it doesn't <laughs> you know, just, yeah, it's not good to be there. Yeah. Let's talk just a little bit about, about a, a topic that most people don't know a lot about, which is called goodwill. Don't assume that your direct knows what goodwill is or that he or she ought to be compensated for it in a move. Most people don't. Just so you guys know, goodwill in your existing job is the intangible asset of being able to get stuff done more easily where you are now than at the company who's acquiring them. Okay, it's best exemplified by the knowledge you have at your existing firm about whom to call, what the politics are, how to navigate corporate systems and the support functions, your relationship with everyone, where things are, um, where the forms are, what the processes and systems are. Goodwill is of no tangible value to you where you are because it's an intangible. And so what happens is we get salary compression. Goodwill only becomes tangible, usually, in competing offers, okay? So, in other words, other companies offer your candidate more money 
to compensate them for the goodwill to essentially say the next six months are going to be harder for you because you have built up relationships and knowledge of systems and processes and people such that things are easier for you there and we're going to pay you more in part to compensate you for the reputation you've built at your existing company which you don't have at the new company but many folks don't know that exists and sometimes an acquiring company don't offer enough to cover it and essentially they're saying the candidate doesn't have any goodwill or the candidate doesn't know that they deserve compensation for the hard work they're going to have to engage in to rebuild their goodwill at the new firm right and it's a significant amount of uh, effort yeah so now look that is talking about compensation for reputation but it's rare that the only issue involved in a transition like this is money so even if you're able to match or even beat another offer in base compensation you'll be unlikely to be successful in suggesting that you can change the other problems your direct has perhaps with coworkers perhaps projects deadlines resources with you whatever Folks who go and get competing offers usually do not believe bosses who claim that they heard the wake-up call are really going to change. Yeah, you had your chance on that stuff. Yeah, yeah. So now look, guys, at this point, some people who are more amenable to counteroffers in general uh, say, well, all I need to do is ask them, how much will it take to keep you? And that, that's smart in the sense that, that, well, now we can gauge our ability to get that amount. And if we can't get that amount, we're not we're going to save ourselves the trouble. But if we can, then when we want them to stay, then we'll go do the work. And if we, in fact, meet the offer that they say they we need to meet, then, of course, they will stay. You're setting people up here because yeah, I mean, this, it'd be great it's if it were that, that easy. easy. Yeah, yeah no kidding. Not. <laughs> Most folks with a competing offer haven't thought the comparing apples to oranges, your company to their company, they haven't thought it through, and they won't know what to say if you tell them, well, what do I need to do for you? And therefore, oftentimes, they'll say something wildly crazy, which they know the moment it comes out of their mouth, they don't mean. And so even if you do meet the request, there's still no evidence they'll stay because, again, they didn't think it through. Again, we know too many managers who have worked up a counteroffer that met whatever standards the direct stated, and they lost the direct anyway. Something else, too, that's really important here. Many directs don't understand that we managers simply can't make it so, right? That, oh, well, okay, I'm the one that tells you what you make, so therefore I'm the only person involved in the decision, so therefore if you ask me for more money, I can say, oh, yeah, you're worth that. Consider it done. Yeah, right. <laughs> and so, yeah, so then what they do is they interpret the time it takes us to create a counteroffer as a delay tactic, or as a lack of belief that they're worth it, or a lack of prioritization of their own needs. If you're a manager, guys, you've learned by now that you're not in sole control of your direct's compensation, right? But ask yourself, did you really know that was true when you were an individual contributor, when you had never been a manager before? I doubt it. I think there are a lot of people who don't know that. And so the idea that it takes time is already working against you. And That's then right. some manager goes, well, that means I should come up with an immediate offer. If only that would that were an intelligent, strategic thing to do. No, that would not be a smart thing. Yeah. I mean, the things we just went through, though, are only short-term <laughs> reasons against countering. There's others. <laughs> yeah. Look, maybe you can save somebody with a counteroffer in the short term. But guys, 
it's unlikely to last based on our experiences. The money you offer will quickly fade. The person who can be bought by money is probably not a person that's a high professional that is going to stay for the right reasons. If they're willing to leave for, mo- leave for money, they're not going to stay for the right reasons. Yeah. All you're going to do is give them a higher base to start from. They'll go find someone yeah, else who's exactly. going to give them another 20000 yeah. yeah. The other issues won't change. The money, the money changes, but nothing else. And the direct's going to end up leaving anyway, in part because almost no direct is going to come back to you a second time for a second counter when they've gotten a second offer two or three years later for notably more. So once they start looking at some point one or two or three years later, there'll be no chance for a counter to keep them. Now, when the candidate who was successfully counter-offered later leaves, it's especially bad for you in the eyes of your manager. When you went to your boss earlier for the counter, rest assured he or she thought, why can't this manager keep his or her people happy so they don't need extra money? Doesn't he know that money isn't why people stay? Didn't he or she see this coming? So when you have to pay more with a counter to keep someone when they're not going to be adding any more value, remember, you're just giving them more money or something different. They're not, they're not adding more value. Your boss is going to be paying more attention to your ability to keep your people. So when you lose that same person later, that's just a complete reflection on your lack of skills as a manager. Yeah, you didn't change anything. If I'm Mike's boss and Mike comes to me and says, I need to counter offer one of my guys, and I give him the money, later when he loses his guy, I'm going to say, well, gee, you spent my money to keep your guy, but you didn't change the behavior that got him to the place where he needed a counter offer for you to begin with. Why should I ever spend money on you again? Right? No, I'm not going to do it. Your, your boss will be reminded of your earlier near loss, and they're going to think you didn't learn anything about retention, and the money they spent was wasted. Any direct whom you successfully counter and later leaves simply reminds your boss that you're not as good as other managers at keeping their people. And guys, that may not be just, it may not be reasonable, it may not be fair, but it's true. The next thing on our list is cost-benefit analysis. And guys, look, I know at the moment somebody comes to you and says, I really, I'm, you know, I got another offer. You immediately, there's a little bit of panic. Everybody feels that way and it's painful. You're like, oh gosh. But that doesn't mean it's the right thing to do to suddenly make a quick decision to, to keep them. Even if a counter offer were to work in the short term, the effort you have to go to get it and the political capital you have to spend on somebody who has already decided they're willing to leave make this process a bad idea. Most of us as managers don't have our authority to change our direct salaries without approval. We already talked about that. That means going to our boss. The way your boss will always see this is simple. You fail to do your job of knowing your people well enough to keep them, and I have to bail you out. What's more, your boss knows that all she's doing is paying more money to solve a problem, not to get a benefit. Keeping a person for more money, doing the same job is not a benefit. Now, you say, wait, the benefit is I don't have to take the time to hire somebody. And we continue to get that direct performance rather than losing it. And you're right. But that's spending money to avoid a mistake. That's not investing. That's disaster control. And that's not how bosses, directors, VPs, whatever, want to spend their money. But it's really the political capital that matters more than the money. Your boss and you are going to have to call in favors You're going to have to ask for help. You're going to have to admit a need for urgency because of a lack of foresight. 
all in order to spend money to keep the status quo. Okay, and I got to tell you guys, when somebody comes to you in March and says, you know, I got a better offer, and they actually have the better offer, people say, well, I need to give them more because you know we don't we don't adjust salaries but once a year. Well, salary administration, and I know this is hard to hear, but at big companies, big companies are great things. And if you're at a big company, um, this doesn't apply as much in a small company, but a big company. Going to HR, going to, to payroll and saying, going to the salary person and saying, the compensation person is saying, you know, we need to do something here. They're like, dude, that's not how it works. Their first thought is no in their head because salary administration is complex. There are bands, there's ratios, there's special considerations and so on. To make case-by-case -case exceptions throws off some of the systemic, some of the patterns that HR and senior people are trying to keep in place. Now, you may think it's only HR, but it's really not only HR. HR is looking across the organization at total compensation, and they have a budget. And they don't have a lot of leeway, and you could be the guy that breaks their budget. And if you're the guy that breaks their budget, they're going to say, what kind of relationship do I have with you? So salary administration is not trivial, and not every offer can be changed. Not every relationship in terms of salary compensation can be changed at a moment's notice. Now, at smaller firms, it's easier, right? It's like right. if you're at a 10-person firm, your boss is probably the owner and go, well, I, she'll probably say, well, I think I can afford it or, or no, I can't. But the bigger, bigger the company you're at, the harder these things are because of the systems and process. And yes, that's bureaucracy, but the bureaucracy serves a purpose as well. Well, yeah. And then people responsible for that bureaucracy are... Um would suggest that they they don't want to create a system where every time somebody goes and and gets an offer somewhere else we're we're counter offering right it it creates a systemic yep. problem of that's the way to get a raise around here is go get another offer and we'll we'll pay you more that's not sustainable yeah and guys here's here's the real killer all your political costs here are at risk because you don't know whether the counter offer is going to work you have to take all the political risk but you can't be assured of getting a return on the investment. That's politically naive. And it's in service of someone who chose not to communicate with you and has put you in this position to begin with. Yeah, no doubt. Yeah, so dangerous. Thanks, everyone. That's it. We'll continue this series next week. In the meantime, have a great one. So long. <laughs>